0: but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Good morning. In November
1: of this past year, I walked into Staples one evening because I was looking for a new computer. And there was a man on his knees under where some of the computers go, and I asked him, are you in computer sales? And his reply to me was no I'm just an electrician. If I recall correctly I said something to him like well you know how to do things that I don't understand. The point is that every one of us identifies ourselves in some way. We are not just and you can fill in the blank. Oftentimes people fill it in by what they do for an occupation or some other way to describe Who they are as an individual. And in regard to our personal identity, let's understand how special God has made each one of us. In Psalm 119, verse 73, the psalmist says to God, Your hands, God's hands, made me and fashioned me. Years ago, there was a popular saying that many who were in Christian circles used to to talk about their self-identity or maybe their self-image when they said this expression, God doesn't make junk. And that's still very true in regard to each one of us. In the first century, believers in Jesus Christ were given a new name. Acts 11, verse 26 tells us what that name is. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So hopefully, the first thing that those who believe in Christ would do to identify who they are is by that word, that we are Christians. Revelation chapter 2, verse 17 also talks about that new name. My topic this morning is, what is a disciple? And hopefully, we will all of us leave here today excited about being such an individual. First, a disciple is one who has been born anew, or born again. Going back to what Tim read us, I want to just underline that again, in John chapter 3, where Jesus says to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Physically, each one of us were born on a certain date, and nothing can change that date. doesn't matter how you may want to make yourself younger as you grow older, it doesn't work, because all of us had a time when we were born into this world. One time, I remember years ago, a man said to me, I wish I were 18 again, don't you? And I can honestly say at that point, and I was into my fifties already at that point, I didn't, I wouldn't want to go back there even if I could. Because there's been so much living and so many things that have happened. We can't change our physical birthday. But our second and very important birthday is the day that we are born again. And that is a decision that every person makes for themselves. To be born again, one must be baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. This is what Scripture teaches, and no other person can change the date of your birth into Christ any more than the date of your physical birth can be changed. The word baptism in the Greek is the word baptizo. And that, the Greek, is the language in which the New Testament was written, Koine Greek, or the common Greek. It is now a dead language, so it will never change. And that, that Greek word for baptism is baptizo, and it means to immerse or to submerge. When one obeys the gospel and is baptized or immersed into Christ, the forgiveness of sins occurs And that individual is given the gift of the Holy Spirit. That gift is the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit in our bodies as God's people. And a person is not saved, not a disciple, just by going to worship services. It is not by being raised by Christian parents. It is not by association with other Christians. In other words, just because we have been raised in a Christian home, or just because we associate with Christian people, doesn't mean that we are Christians, and doesn't mean that we then have a safe path into heaven. Salvation is an intensely personal decision. It is a decision to change one's life and become a follower. Or a disciple of Jesus. If I were to ask you when you were saved, could you point to a time and a place when you were born again or born anew? We all of us know because our parents have told us the date of our physical birth. But could you point to that date when you were born again? There are some who say, I know I am saved. But I can't say exactly when or how. Think about that. I've actually had a person say to me, I know I'm saved, but I can't really point back to when that happened or how it exactly happened. We're going to come back to that shortly. Secondly, the Bible says that we are saved by grace. In Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, The apostle Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, not as a result, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. And that word for walk means a habitual way of life, the way you conduct yourself. Day by day. See, we are not saved by being a good person. We are not saved by doing good things, although that should be a part of our lives when we follow Jesus. We are saved by God's grace, His unmerited favor, and how glad that should make each one of us. Have you ever heard a person say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace? I've probably made that expression myself because it is very true. And many who hear my voice today will remember what their life was like before being saved by Christ. But when one becomes a disciple of of Christ, a follower of Christ, you are much more than what you used to be. You are no longer that old man or that old woman of sin, because you are now a new creation. Paul says in Second Corinthians five seventeen, therefore if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Amen to that. What a wonderful promise that God makes us new when we obey. How glad we need to be that the Apostle Paul, through the Holy Spirit, allows us to learn that very important fact. When we become a new creation, the old things, the old life has passed away. And so no one who is a Christian should view themselves as a defeated person or a person that lives a mediocre life. In Scripture, Christians, disciples, and I'm going to just pick out a few phrases to describe what that means. Disciples, or Christians, are called brethren, or brothers, children of God, sons of light, a royal priesthood, saints. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 says, For you were formerly... And that means before conversion, you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk or live as children of light. Neil Anderson, no relative of mine, in a book called Daily in Christ tells us, we become saints at the moment of conversion. Now, we don't often think about that, but it's true. We become saints at the moment of salvation and live as saints in our daily experiences as we continue to believe what God has done and as we continue to affirm who we really are in Christ. He goes on to say, if you fail to see yourself as a child of God, you will struggle vainly to live like one. And Satan will have little trouble convincing you that you are no different from who you were before Christ, when my words here came into your life, and that you have no value to God or anyone else. Our identity as God's children should never be in doubt. As Dr. Anderson, and much more importantly the Bible teaches, we become saints at the moment of salvation. Maybe when you were younger and you were starting to go out, your parents said something to you like, remember who you are. This is not said to make us think that we are better than other people, but rather it's said to us to remember our walk. Our manner of life is different from that of the world. To understand the importance of being a disciple, I want us to look for just a moment at the calling of the disciples of Jesus. Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 19. And he, that is Jesus, went up to the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have authority to cast out the demons. And he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James. To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, and Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Elpheus, and Thaddeus, and Simon, the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These men, these were the men who were called to change the world. None of them were famous. None of them came from important families. None of them had important jobs. None of them were outstanding scholars. They were all everyday, ordinary people, like you and like me. John the Baptizer, who came to prepare the way for Jesus had disciples who followed him. In John chapter 1, beginning in verse 35, it says, On the next day John was standing, now this is John the baptizer, and two of his disciples, and he looked upon Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and beheld them following and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. When they met Jesus, they left John the baptizer and began to follow Jesus. And these individuals were the ones, as I mentioned, some of them who became changed men. It doesn't mean that they still didn't have some problems or sometimes make the wrong decisions, or sometimes say the wrong thing, or at times have a lack of faith. Does not just sound like regular folks? We could talk about Peter, but I think there is a great overlooked lesson regarding Thomas. And when I mention Thomas's name, what comes to your mind as a descriptor of Thomas? Doubting. Doubting. That's usually what comes to our mind. Doubting Thomas, because he had to see the holes in Jesus' hand and his side where he had been pierced by the Roman spear. But I want to mention something that came to my mind just recently in John chapter 11 about Thomas. In John chapter 11, Jesus intends to go back to Bethany, and his disciples think that's a bad idea, as they were concerned that the Jews will try to kill him when he goes back into that area. Listen carefully to what is said in John chapter 11 and verse 16. Thomas, therefore, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. At this point, Thomas thinks, as do the disciples, that when Jesus steps back into this area, that the Jews who were against him were about to kill him. And Thomas is ready to die beside him. That doesn't sound like a doubter to me. He was a changed man. Tradition tells us that all of the disciples, including Thomas, but excluding Judas Iscariot, who had died by his own hand, all of the disciples, except the Apostle John, were martyred for their faith in Jesus. Last, I'd like to talk for a moment about the Apostle Paul and his conversion, the man who described himself. In 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, in these ways, the New American Standard Version and the English Standard Version say Paul called himself the foremost of sinners. In the King James Version and the American Standard Version 1901 edition, Paul called himself the chief of sinners. In the New International Version, it says Jesus called himself or Paul called himself the worst of sinners. Why would he do that? Why would he describe himself in such a way? Because he had persecuted the church of Jesus Christ and had agreed to having Christians killed for their faith. This was Paul's assessment of himself, that he was, and I'll use that term, the chief of sinners. And that was, but that was before He came to Christ as a disciple. And maybe you or I could relate to that statement. So Paul is good news to us. In in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through through 9, we have Paul's conversion related. Now Saul, this is his Jewish name, he later goes by the name of Paul. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And it came about that as he journeyed, he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and it shall be told you what you must do. And the men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. Do you ever think Paul ever forgot the day of his conversion? Neither do I. Look at verse 17. And this is Ananias, who was a disciple of Jesus. Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you are coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight. And he arose and was baptized. At this point, Paul's life was changed when he was baptized into Jesus and converted to a new life. Do you remember what happened on the day and at the place you were when you were converted to Christ? For me, it was May 20th, 1973, very near midnight. And that date stands out in memory. And if you cannot appoint to a time in life, like Paul, when you decided to give your life to the Lord by being born anew, then perhaps you need to think on these things and think it through. So what is a disciple? The Thorndike Barnhart Dictionary says, a believer in the thought and teaching of a leader, a follower, one of the followers of Jesus. And this is not reserved for the twelve of the New Testament. It is for all who come to Jesus in obedience to the gospel. And he has promised, once we do obey, that he will never leave us. He will never forsake us, that he will walk with us throughout our lives on this earth, and that he will then take us safely to our heavenly home when our life on this earth is over. And so the question, and only you can answer this, do you identify yourself as a disciple of Jesus? If not, you can become one today. By repenting of your sins, by confessing with your mouth Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and by being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And Paul urges in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. And the promise to disciples is eternal life and glory in heaven. And if we take Jesus up on that promise, we can sing with the the gospel writer this beautiful old gospel hymn. And when my task on earth is done, when by thy grace the victory's won, even death's cold hand I will not flee, since God through Jordan leadeth me. If you're not a Christian this morning, you have opportunity to be obedient to Christ today, to change your life, and to become his disciple. Would you stand as we sing?